Hi, welcome to the Newberry Chronicles. I'm Michael. And this is Rebecca. And this is a podcast in which two readers talk through each and every Newberry Medal winner, even the really boring ones. Um, today, unrelatedly, we are going to be talking about uh, the 1980 Medal winner, A Gathering of Days, semicolon, not colon, um, a New England Girls Journal, 1830 to 32. Um, but before we start that, I wanted to say something that I usually say at the end of the episodes or sometimes forget to say at the end of the episodes, but I want to say now, which is that we would love to hear from y'all. Uh, we have an official email address, which is newberrychronicles at gmail.com. Uh, Newberry, of course, is spelled with one R. Uh, so that's tripped up a few people who have been Googling our podcast. Um, but it's also our uh, Gmail. So send us your thoughts. Uh, if you're our parents, you've already sent us your thoughts many times, and we appreciate the feedback. <laughs> but we'd also like to hear from our other listeners who aren't our parents. Um, so anyway, um, do you have anything to add to that, Rebecca? No. Okay, good. Because uh, it's time to talk about a gathering of days. Uh, so Rebecca picked this book. Yes. I mean, I picked it off the list. We're going to read it eventually. This is true. Our priorities. Uh, but she came up from the library, kind of like how in like Little House on the Prairie, Pa Ingalls and Laura Ingalls come <laughs> home from being out on the prairie and they have a new baby. Um, I came home from work and Rebecca had showed me this book. It's exactly uh, the same it's thing. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, and so I say this to say we know who to blame for this book. Um, anyway, uh, this is a book that's written by Joan Bloss. Is that how you pronounce the last name? B-L-O-S. Bloss or Bloss? I'm going to say Bloss. Joan W. Bloss. And, um, she actually sounds like a really neat person, a person I would like to hang out with. Uh, I wish the same extended to her writing. Spoilers, I guess. Um, so, um... She was born in 1928 in New York City, and I think she kind of kicked around the city for a while um, in her young adult and then early adult life because she went to college in New York uh, at City University, I believe. Um, And uh, eventually, though, she ended up in Ann Arbor um, in 1970, so kind of like well, I'll get to this in a second, but she kind of has two stages of her life like a lot of these children's authors do. And the first stage of her life is basically that she is an academic and uh, she has a graduate degree in psychology and she taught um, what the, a lot of this information comes from just like the back of the book flap because Wikipedia is pretty spare in their biography of her. Um, She taught uh, what the back of the book flap describes as Children's Language and Literature, and uh, I found in, uh, uh, on the internet, a Britannica Kids article that was a little bit more specific about that. Um, she had, like, academic work based on how, like, children process language and how, like, that influences, like, the kinds of stories that they're receptive to and stuff like that. So, like, it sounds like genuinely, like, cool work, and she taught for 20 years, um, uh, on, on that subject, you know, in, in like psychology and, and social sciences and that sort of thing. Um, but she had always been interested in writing on some level. Um, according to that Britannica Kids article, 
she published, and this is maddeningly vague, um, she published, quote, a short story for a national magazine. And I'm just like, I just got to know, was this Highlights magazine? Was this The New Yorker? Like, it, in, in, inquiring minds want to know. But regardless, uh, the, she does seem to have some interest in, like, writing and literature um, in addition to her um, psychological work. Uh, because eventually she started working for in publishing um, because she kind of like got into that, you know, based on her studies with like child psychology and that sort of stuff. Um, and so she wrote writing primers for a while, um, which doesn't sound like very interesting writing, but I'm sure it was interesting to her because that's kind of like her field of study is like how children process language and stuff. Uh, but eventually she got into the, the picture book racket um, and she collaborated with a woman whose name is Betty Miles, and I'm not really familiar with Betty Miles, but she wrote a ton of uh, picture books collaborating with Betty Miles, like like, like quite a few. Uh, and this is kind of how she got her start into, like, for real, for real children's literature as opposed to just, like, studying children in literature. Um, and so in, let's see, around the time she moved to Ann Arbor is when she kind of made this switch. And because there's such a kind of vague, there's vague information about Joan Bloss online, I'm not sure if that move coincided with her career change, like just happenstance, or if specifically she moved because of her change in like focus. But regardless, starting in the 70s onward, she is writing a lot more. Um, and she writes all sorts of stuff. She writes like nonfiction uh, she does picture books. She does a handful of novels, not that many novels, but a handful. Um, and a gathering of days is one of them. Um, and so like for the rest of her life, she's kind of, uh, got two feet or got a foot in either world of like kind of nonfiction, like academic study of children's psychology while also doing, um, like a, a fair bit of like actual creative writing. Um, and she died in 2017, and uh, she was in Ann Arbor then. So she basically lived half her, uh, over half of her life in Ann Arbor. So Michigander um, eventually, uh, even though she began as a New Yorker. Anyway, that's, uh, that's what I could find about the author. That's um, a lot more than I found. So good job. Yeah. So let's talk about this book, A Gathering of Days. So I do, um, well, I'll save what I'm going to say till later because it kind of gives a spoiler about how we feel about the book. Oh, I believe I've already spoiled. Okay, how well I feel then about I'll go ahead and say I don't know. I feel like you said this in the last podcast um, when we were talking about uh, in Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Um, we announced that we were going to read this book, and I think you made a comment like, "I hope it's more interesting than the title." And yeah, I, because. I was few, hoping it was going to be a upper road slowly situation. Right, and I and it, yeah, and that episode we had talked about how Michael tends to judge books by their title and never picked up Upper Road Slowly or A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, both of which are brilliant books. And I kind of said, you know, maybe the problem is you, because that didn't stop me from reading them. But I let the record show that you were correct. They say and don't the, judge a book by its cover, but. <laughs> Dear listeners, if you could see the cover of this book, you should judge your book by this cover. But anyway. It looks like a Dover Thrift Edition, but made on purpose and not for thrifty purposes. So, this book, um, let me tell you about it. So, this whole entire book is written as a diary entry, uh, uh, as a diary, not an entry, several entries, 
Um, so the writer is Catherine Hall, who is 13 when she starts writing this, and obviously the journal runs from 1830 to 1832, um, in Meredith, New Hampshire. She turns 14 while she's writing it, and the whole framework that's set up at the beginning of the novel is that she is giving this journal to her great-granddaughter on her 14th birthday. Um, so in... In the actual journal entries, Catherine lives with her father and her little sister, Maddie. Her mother and her infant brother have died four years prior to her writing this due to an illness um, that they both, we don't know what the illness is, but we know that um, that's how they died. Um, I was assuming it was like a childbirth related I thought thing. it was, but I went back and checked. And it, it could have been, but they never specified that. Okay. It probably was, like, some complicated... But they both died, the baby and the mom. So, I mean, who knows? Okay. Who knows? We can just, like, bring but, up, like, one of those old-timey diseases, like consumption or diphtheria or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but they... that Like, I know that the baby was born and was alive for, like, a little while, and then they both succumbed to illness, is what the journal says. But okay. regardless... Um, some significant things that happen in the course of this journal is that Catherine helps a run what we find out to be a runaway slave. Um, we find out his name is Curtis, and he um, eventually escapes to Canada. But when we first find out about this person, um, Catherine just calls him a phantom because she sees this figure lurking about. Um, and he takes her writing book from school without her knowing it and writes and asks her for her help. So she leaves him a quilt that her mother had made before she died um, to keep him warm and some food in that quilt. Some other things that happen in this book is her father remarries um, and her father and stepmother find out about what she's done. And it's not really framed as a consequence, but it definitely looks like a consequence. She has to replace the quilt that she gave away. So a lot of the journal focuses on her learning what a tedious task it is to make a quilt and, and how valuable um, a quilt actually is. I'll make a comment on that later. But there's a teacher in town who is an abolitionist, and he's teaching the students who are interested about the abolitionist movement. Um, slavery and freedom are really big themes that play throughout the book as much as you have any themes going on in this book as much as you can say that there is a big theme that is one of them um another significant event is that her best friend Cassie dies also due to illness she gets a fever and um and dies and the journal ends with Catherine learning that she's going to be leaving Meredith New Hampshire to go help her former teacher, the abolitionist we were just talking about, and his wife, who's actually Cassie's aunt. They just had a baby, and she's going to go um, and help them. The, this book is hard to summarize because it's it's not, there's not really a plot. It really is just a compilation of diary entries. It is truly a of, gathering of days. It is really a gathering of days. <laughs> Let me read, this is kind of a, a pretty line, um, but the where the title comes from is this this line in Catherine's journal entry that says, This year, more than others, has been a lengthy gathering of days wherein we lived, we loved, we're moved, were moved, learned how to accept. Live, kind of like live, live laugh, laugh, laugh. laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we both came to that conclusion together. But anyway, that is that is a gathering 
of days. I hope I gathered them appropriately. Uh, I would say about as as much as as you can. Um, so I guess we'll switch to the things that we liked and disliked about this. So here's what I liked, and this is more of a, I it's. It would be strong to say I like this element of it, but maybe admire things I admire about this book is that the author is incredibly committed to the bit. Like this truly feels as if I just got on like JSTOR or something like that and came across an old, like someone scanned in like, you know, uh, a, a like journal of somebody's and I think that like a lot of books that purport to be journals kind of eventually shape themselves into conventional narratives and this refuses to like the entire book is exactly as if you would read it in a journal to the point where um like there's not a lot of exposition or description of like what kind of life is being lived outside of like the normal things people would talk about because the author is living in this time. So she doesn't feel the need to explain like Laura Ingalls Wilder style, like every single detail of their lives. She is simply describing like the things that stood out to her. And so sometimes there's like weird gaps. Like when Cassie dies, we don't, there's not a dramatic scene when that happens. We see there's one journal entry in which she's like spending her last, what becomes her last time with Cassie. And then the next journal entry is she's already dead. And she's just like, well, you know, Cassie has died, and I wish I had known it was the last time I was going to spend with her last time. You know, like, I, I feel like a different book would have, there would have been a journal entry for, like, oh, she had a, you know, an emotional moment finding out, like, you know, how she died or whatever. But this book simply does not do that because it is, it is, like, actually a journal. I, I do think, like, you didn't mention this, but um, the author, uh, Joan Bloss, came to the story of this book by like she had visited New Hampshire or was maybe living there for a moment. Um, and there was a, like an old, like estate there mm -hmm. that she would walk by on a path. And she got curious about like, well, what was life like for people when they lived at this estate? Uh, and like, who were the oldest people who lived here and all this sort of stuff. And so she started doing like, kind of like archival research about the area and that included reading a lot of journal entries and stuff. And she says that a lot of the stuff in this book just came directly from her research. And that completely makes sense. Like, there's stuff in here that's just like, oh, here's a random interesting tidbit about, like, for instance, this guy who stole some stuff and then went away and then came back as a duke to repay. Was it a duke? Count. A count to repay his debt. Like, it is completely random. Which is not the same guy that she helped. That's not the runaway slave. No, no, no. This is, I, I think, I presumably I a just, white person. I was just but, clarifying. Um, or even the, the runaway slave bit. Like, that, just the structure of it is very weird. It's, and I think, like, this this works almost as, like, a as a as a piece of pastiche. Like, the author is trying to make a document that you might have found um, in actual archival research. And... It's impressive that she just commits to it. Like, mm -hmm. it is what it is. And um, I don't know. Like, that is something... There's something to be said about that, that she is successful in doing it. I don't know. That's that's about the, the only positive thing I've got. No, I completely agree. And one thing is I kept forgetting that I was reading a book that was written in 1979. 
Um, so I, I do think she has a true commitment to the form and, and really getting, I say the voices, but they're not even voices, but like getting, I don't know, the tone, like the language and the syntax of like Catherine is very dated. And so, and which makes sense given her academic background, right? Not to where you can't understand it and not to where a child couldn't understand it, but, um, she does what she's doing well, you know, I I just don't find it very interesting. Yeah, to to what end? Um, you know, it's like um, you've seen Jurassic Park, right, Rebecca? Yeah. You remember the? No, yeah. I don't remember anything. Okay, well, you might have seen this meme that the, you know, you you were so interested in whether you could, you didn't decide about whether you should have exactly. done this. Um, exactly. So I just mean, like it worked cloning... out in her favor. She she won some awards for this book. She did, not just the Newbery Medal, but also um, the National Book Award has a children's uh, book category, and she won the 1980 National Book Award, too, uh, for children's um, for children's literature, and uh, that's astounding to me, to be honest. Let's, let's, and, and it's yeah. astounding because well, let's switch to the negatives. Okay, you go, you go ahead. It's your turn. This is my least favorite book we've read so far. Um, <laughs> because it is so tedious. Like, there is... The things that are interesting about it, like the plot things that are interesting, are rendered uninteresting because of the mm-hmm. format. Like, yeah. we get, like, a paragraph or maybe a page for each day, and because it's like a what a person would have written in their journals, a lot of times there's very little description of what actually has occurred. It's just a person's journal entry. And so, like... Um, there is like just, it's just incident after incident. And sometimes those incidents are returned back to, uh, but some, a lot of times they're not. And like by far the most interesting through line is the runaway slave bit, but that is hardly the main focus of the book. Like, uh, it is simply like the most impactful incident that happens because it continues to have reverberations down the line. But like, I don't know, the, the format of this is so stifling to me. Um, we don't, I don't feel like I ever get a good understanding of who the characters are because the person writes this as, in a journal format. She's, she's like 13 years old, so she's not going to give a lot of information about like her friend Cassie. You know, She'll talk about the things that they do together, but Cassie doesn't have a very defined personality no. except that like there was one time that she talked about how lying by omission is the same thing as lying. And that kind of like keeps coming back. And so she kind of comes across as maybe a little bit like scoldy and righteous. But even that is not really very well developed. I don't know. Like, I, it is, it is an uninteresting thing in and of itself on this podcast to just say this bored me, but it did. I, every time I had to pick this up to read it, I was like, man, I can't believe I've got to read this book again. And it's again. not a long book. We it should have not. read it more quickly. I would have if it were more not. interesting. <laughs> um, I also think that, like, I don't know, like, again, like, if this were a piece of an archive where I was trying to learn about, like, oh, how do people live? And it's, like, part of a constellation of sources. Like, this would be interesting for that sort of project because it would be one of a number of voices that I learned about, like, you know, uh, 19, or excuse me, 1830s New Hampshire. But as a standalone thing, it feels like it just skims the surface of so many of these issues. Like, there's a thing about, like, these recurrent, like, there's a, the kind of through line in the book about how they keep getting new school teachers. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't describe it at all. Like, um, there is, like, it feels like there's weird gaps where there's like, oh, they have a new school teacher. Okay, I guess. And they go on. And then she may give, like, one little anecdote about the new school teacher and, and go. I mean, the most significant plot with the school is that the uh, teacher reads them, like, some of, like, a, a magazine written by William Lloyd Garrison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that causes some stir because, like, you're not supposed to be political in the classroom or whatever. Um, which is funny that that conversation was still happening in the 1830s. Um, so, you know, 1830s New Hampshireites were uh, up in arms about CRT, I guess. But, um, uh, again, like, even that incident, as significant as it is, doesn't occupy very much of the book at all. And I'm just left thinking, like, I want to know more about this situation and all that. But, of course, the format of the book means that you're not going to learn more because for this character, it was something that happened and they move on. Just mm-hmm. like in most of, a, in most of our lives, mm-hmm. things happen and we move on. And we may occasionally reflect upon these things that happen. But, uh, you know, in our day-to-day, like, a journal is, what are my thoughts this day? Like, most of the time, we're not thinking about these kind of, like, big-picture life things that usually novels give us that perspective right. of. And what I will say is that when books... I have read many books that have the same framework, like their diaries. And I know um, I I read a lot of the Dear America books. You, those are more targeted to girls. I don't think that you've ever read yeah, any. I'm of them, aware of them. I you know I loved those because if you're going to if you're going to write a novel, even if you're using the framework of a journal, you're going to dramatize the journal entries to yeah. where there's a through. And she just does not do that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's weird to me that this is so acclaimed. And uh, you and I like looked at um, like other books that were published this year, and there's like you know some fairly. I mean, there, we don't have like you know the Charlotte's Web of this year or something like that. But it's like books that like I think are more I, significant. Well, like there's a Beverly Cleary book that came out. Like one of the Ramona books comes out this year and stuff like that. That. I don't know. I mean, that's certainly a more conventional book than this. But in terms of, like, do I have good memories of that book? Did I enjoy reading that book? Like, definitely more than that. But, like, this, like, swept awards. Like, National Book Award. Like, Newbery Award. Like, significant acclaim. um, But zero, like, cultural legacy. Mm -hmm. And also, like, returning to it, kind of hard to figure out, like, why did this Mm -hmm. captivate people like it did um especially like let's consider like um roll of thunder hear my cry like uh, 1977 right so only a few years before this yes um not the same setting whatsoever but kind of dealing with some of the same issues in terms of like race and school profound things to say about yeah, race like very, and education a very involved book um and again it's a different format it's not a journal format but like we just read um that book and now we're reading this one. And like I said, it just feels like we're skimming on the surface of these like issues that it brings up. And that would be forgivable if it made up for it with like really interesting characters or something like that. But like I honestly had a hard time keeping or, track of the characters because they don't have discernible personalities or characteristics besides like, oh, this is so-and-so's brother. And they did this one thing one yeah. time earlier in the book. Or even if you want to be a book that is not plot heavy because you're having a journal entry, if you want to tell us about the time period or you want to tell us about the setting, write it like Strawberry Girl, you know, where it's very process oriented and very like, 
you know, really sets the scene. This book does none of that. Right. Like Again, because I, like a journal wouldn't do that realistically because you're 13 years old. You're not going to sit right. there and talk about like the process of your chores. Like it makes sense why this book is the way it is. But I'm just like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Which I don't have a ton to add to that, um, except I did want to make one comment. I I feel like this book spends a lot more time talking about the value of of a quilt than it does about the value of human life. And I, you know, her father, Catherine's father, does kind of affirm what she did in helping the runaway slave later on. Like that was a that was a good thing to do, basically. Um, in more elevated language, but Which the book spends than more time. But the book spends more time talking about what she's learning about making this quilt than what she's learning about helping this person who is dying and freezing in the cold, who has just escaped from slavery. And so I just, I don't think that the author is trying to make any kind of comment about that. But like, it annoyed me. And I, I, okay, I. I'm going to slightly come to this book's defense on this topic. Not that like, I mean, I think that clearly the, 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 the perspective of the book makes it weird, her relationship to the runaway, because for so long, she's not even sure who it is or what it is. So it's just like the phantom for most of the incident. But, and I agree that it's, it's weird and it's not dehumanized. It's not dehumanizing, but it's like there's not any space for the humanity of Curtis because of the perspective of the book. But also, like, okay, so right around the time when they're helping the runaway, and he's not yet escaped to Canada, um, there's a thing where um, the the runaway is taking pies from windowsills as they're cooling so that he can eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the other boys who knows that the runaway is doing this because he's helping um, Catherine with this, um, he is the one that everyone thinks has been stealing these pies. And so then he gets in trouble for doing mm-hmm. this, but he refuses to say anything because he knows that he's not going to s- sell out this dude who's trying to escape. And he's like, it's worth more to for me to take the heat than to, or whatever. This guy's, this guy's life is more important than me taking the heat or whatever. And I, I think that like, maybe what's happening with the book and this quilt is that like, it's not like this it's not like Catherine is like atoning for the sins of slavery or anything like that, but there is a I don't know, like I think that there is she never regrets helping the guy. And so like it's almost as if like the labor of making this quilt was worth like it's a sacrifice worth making. Like I think yeah. there's a small implication that that's the case. Again, like this book doesn't go into a lot of detail, but because there's that earlier story about the dude taking the heat for the stolen pies. I feel like that there's an element of that with her making the quilt and focusing on the labor of the quilt. Uh, just almost as if to say, like, I don't regret what I did. This is this is worth helping someone. But her parents know what she did at that point, and I have problems with them, but it's not really a critique of the book. It's Doesn't just, this, I don't... her mom, like, cancel their newspaper because it's pro, pro-abolitionist? No, it's not because it's pro-abolitionist, but basically they compare the Nat Turner revolt to... The revolutionary yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, i forgot about that yeah you're right so but then also her dad has that statement at the beginning where he's talking to her uncle jack about like i think they're talking about an indentured servant that escapes and he's like well if he escapes and you know about it you gotta return him you gotta take him back like it's it's only fair it's you know and 
And Catherine's like, people think he's harsh in this, but I just see it as honor. I'm like, okay, well, all right. Is that before or after she meets the runaway? It's before. So that's probably like her challenging, you know, I, I do think there's some little bit of character development in terms of her figuring out like, oh, everything my father says is not all that there is. You know, I do think there's some elements of that, but like, I don't know. I do not like this book. Um, Me neither. And it, it's it's just not very interesting. I don't think it has anything important to say. Um, yeah, and ooh, I did want to talk about two other books that I read that year, 1979. Um, one is Ramona and Her Mother, which is a brilliant book, as are all the Ramona books, but there, there are certain scenes that I still think of to this day. Do you remember that scene where Ramona loved, like thinks her pajamas are so comfortable and she doesn't want to take them off, and so she wears them under her clothes. Oh, yeah, I do. And then yeah, she I gets do. to school, and she's so hot, and she's embarrassed. Cause, and then she's like, I can't take my pajamas off because I don't have on any underwear. Yeah, that and is like an... Am- like works through all of that with her. I think of that scene all the time. It's such an like, amazing and memorable little detail of like again like child psychology. Like yes. it makes sense like how you would get there, and like people do this all the time, but especially kids where you want to do something but don't really like think yes. through the full consequences of it, and then you're stuck with what you did. Like I don't know. Uh, I love this book so much, but that is not the only book I want to talk that's about. That's a more interesting detail than any single incident in. Uh, exactly. A gathering of days. Exactly, and we've never forgotten it, never ever. So the other thing I will say is the book that came closer than Ramona and her mother, much closer to being nominated for the Newbery that year, is *The Road from Home* by David Carradine, which I have read. Neither of us had read this book before, if you can't tell. Um, but *The Road from Home*, David Carradine. It is. It is also historical it's actually historical nonfiction, but it's written as a novel so basically he's writing the story of his mother that escaped from the armenian genocide so first of all it's a wonderful book has had a lot more lasting um impact because a lot of schools still um like have it for required reading today um i don't remember a ton about the book except that i really enjoyed it and um Anyway, so I don't know why that one didn't win. That was, was that an honor book? Mm-hmm. It yeah. was the only honor book. Yeah, usually there's year. a handful of honor books. It was just like runner ups, two. runners up, and yeah, I don't know. So I, I don't know what they. Uh, this is really a shout out to Michael's dad because he's told us what we should also talk about is the books that should have won that didn't, and this is the only one that I know of that I think should have won so far that did not. Yeah. Is that book. Because it's wonderful. So I don't read this book. Go read The Road From Home by David Carradine. Now I will say, this is going to loop back around to um, things that we liked. You know, I'm going to go off format here and get nonlinear for a second. Um, And this is a backhanded compliment. And I mean it as a backhanded compliment. But this book is less than 150 pages. And that is wonderful. Uh, More books should be less than 150 pages. But also... If you're going to make a book that's not that interesting, at least have the decency to make it less than 150 pages. I say this thinking about the very first Newbery Medal winner, um, The Story of Mankind, which was not just not less than 150 pages, but not less than 450 pages. 
And this is where I disagree with you. I do think the history of mankind story is a, of mankind. A story of see, I don't even know the title. That book is more boring than this book, in my opinion. I so so here's my here's my argument for why I found the story of mankind to be a more engaging read than this. The story of mankind is packed with detail, and it is also like as we talked about in that uh, episode many long weeks ago. Um, it is very consciously shaping a version of history, and so like as I was reading it, I'm kind of like having to wrestle with like the version of history that it is putting forth, um, and that's a and that's an engaging reading experience. Even if ultimately I didn't really like that book. It was an engaging reading experience where at least like I felt like I was digging into something. Whereas this, I felt just, I don't know. It was like, it was like eating Melba toast or something, <laughs> you know, like I can, I've, I've done that before. You you were reading it, you were like, I don't understand if I'm going to read something this boring, why am I not just reading a regular journal? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Like I would like to do, I would be more interested in doing archival research and reading just a regular journal, because then I know this stuff actually happened. And this one, the author said that they included stuff that actually happened, but then also she like has these invented characters kind of traipsing through it. And I don't know, like if it's going to be like a journal to this degree, I might as well just have the nonfiction mm -hmm. for real instead of like fake nonfiction. So it's probably obvious by now, but Rebecca, thumbs up or thumbs down on... Thumbs down. Yeah, me too. Thumbs down. Uh, unified front. I'm waiting on the book that we're divided on, but I don't feel like that's happened yet. It hasn't. No. So yet again, our house is house unified. United. House United. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that. This will be our shortest podcast episode in a while because this book was short and there's not a lot to talk Last about. Last episode was our longest, right? Yeah. So this is a this is a little treat for the <laughs> listeners. Cool down after. Uh, uh, it's also our thumbs. first thumbs down since the story of mankind, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So you have a break from reading, I guess, if you take our suggestions to heart. Yeah, all of our just slavishly devoted followers. Yeah. But let's talk about the book that we are excited about reading next. Yeah. Um, that we have both read before. So this book, this meaning a gathering of days, was our '80s selection, even though. It was written in 1979. It won the medal in 1980. Um, and so we're counting it as the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, so we're in the 90s next time. Mm -hmm. And the 90s are Rebecca and I's home turf. Yep. Um, we were growing up as the uh, intended audience for a lot of these books in the 90s. And so we decided to do one that we both read and that we both have very fond memories of, uh, which is 1999's winner, Holes. By, I didn't ever know how to pronounce this guy's last name, so I looked it up. Um, Louis Sacker is oh, how you pronounce how it. Okay. Sacker. I always said Sakar. Um, I probably heard a lot on Disney Channel because I was watching Disney Channel when the movie came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Early, early Shia LaBeouf. Yep. Rapping. Anyway. Yeah, you said that. We'll um, talk about that later. But what is interesting is these books were almost, they, they were written almost like 20 years apart. Right, yeah. This one was 1998. Yep. And won the award in 99, and the other one was 1979, won the this award in 1980. One, it feels like more than 20 years since this one was set in the 1830s, and you can't tell that it wasn't. So, anyway. That's true. 
Yeah, this yeah they they may be hundreds of years apart. We'll never know. This will be our third book in the row in a row that has uh, big race themes. Yeah, significant. Throughout. Yeah, significant discussion yeah. on race relations. So, um, can't wait to get into how Lewis Sacker um, smuggled critical race theory into American primary schools in the early twenty first century, um, and yeah, that's about it. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you have thoughts on this book or any other books, you can email us at newberrychronicles at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to hear from you. So uh, I almost guarantee, I guarantee anything you write will be more interesting than a gathering of days. So uh, you, your email will be a better piece of writing than uh, an actual Newberry Medal winner. So count that as encouragement to just... Pull up that Gmail, type a message away, and send it to us. That's all. Do you have anything else to say? All right, this concludes the podcast. <laughs>